This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good evening, you're with Lynn and Sharmila. First up this hour, a look at Nancy Pelosi's visit to Malaysia and perhaps more crucially, her actual next stop in Taiwan. And then on Popcorn Culture, we're reviewing RRR. We're so excited. As always, let us know what you think. You can call us, 7733-2900, WhatsApp, 018-789-8899, and tweet us at BFM Radio. All this coming your way on the Evening Edition. It is 7.07, and before we move on to our next story, which is a look at um, Nancy Pelosi and her travels, really, uh, we thought we would take a look back at messages that have been coming in throughout the show today, um, both about Najib Raza and SRC International, as well as about dream jobs, which is, you know, miles apart. But on today on Twitter, we were discussing essentially, what would your dream job be? Uh, what would you do for a living? What would you do if you didn't have to worry about money, was basically the question, um, which was a pretty popular tweet and one that we thought we'd open up. So uh, maybe before we go back to court cases and such, we'll start there. Yes, um, let's see. We have Hakim saying, I want to sell coconut water by the beach and kettlebelling and clubbing by the beach. Basically, just live life by the beach seems to be the theme here. (laughs) Selling coconut water is just kind of like a by the way. Yeah, so I I was charmed by the idea of kettlebelling, mostly because you can kettlebell anywhere. But the desire to kettlebell by the beach, Mm -hmm. I think, is is quite specific. Uh, Tinaga says, if money wasn't an issue, I would love to be working with nature somewhere deep in the Borneo jungle doing research. That sounds lovely. Lots of nature-themed things coming through, I have to say. Um, Yup says, Grew up watching the sitcom WKRP in Cincinnati. Would want to be the rock station owner. Can you link me up with your boss? Hmm, Write to us. Yup, are you saying you're buying us? (laughs) (laughs) Is this this an on-air offer? I'm just trying to understand here. Um, Meanwhile, we have Nini who says, Designing a robot which can cook, clean and garden to replace domestic helpers. That sounds amazing. Um... Also, wow, designing a robot, like Mm. that's an aim. Like that sounds like a cool ambition to have. It does, uh, especially when you have such a a specified purpose. Uh, Yes. Although these, of course, are the first ones that will rise up and murder you in your sleep when the robots inevitably... When they become sentient. Yes. Yes. Kwan has a nice one. Um, I'd open a nice small hotel with really affordable rooms. The catch for them to stay at the hotel is to allow me to have breakfast and a chat with me to tell me their life stories, operating only to break even or maybe even a marginal loss. So like an Airbnb, but, you know, more formalised. Or even a hostel, right? Like there's usually spaces to uh, share stories and such. But I, I think that's very sweet, especially the idea of being able to meet all sorts of people, welcoming people from around the world. Um, I hesitate (laughs) about Rachel's one, but I will read it. If money wasn't an issue, I would set up my own self-sufficient commune slash cult. It's the slash cult that gets to me because until commune, it sounded fine. What is the thing people say? This has a chilling effect. (laughs) This had a chilling effect. Uh, Let's see. We have Jerome who's responding to our, you know, imaginary fantasy town that we came up with earlier and says, love your town. If money's not a concern, I'd help a million Malaysians be where I am. Who needs politics? when the rakyat can take care of themselves. Along the lines of food, I'd want to bring Malaysian food to the world, especially to Singapore. Uh, 
Ah, the the perennial True national service. Yes, yes, the perennial <laughs> sideways slap at a country that isn't talking about us. <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Um, this is how you know that you're really a Malaysian mm-hmm. talking about Malaysian food. Um, okay, Rose says, would they allow rubbish men into their fancy cheese and wine book club? Once more, our fictional town, which has a cheese and wine cafe next to a library that also has a cafe. Yes. Um, we've also got a rubbish spot, which has a repairs next door. That's true. And Ro, in, in this town, um, there is no judgment for jobs. Everyone is equal. So yes, you would be allowed in. You can attend wine and cheese night. You're welcome everywhere. Of course. Keep those thoughts coming. What would you do for a living if money were no object? Uh, You can call us, WhatsApp us, tweet us. Now, um, going back to briefly to the thoughts on Najib Razak and SRC, we've got uh, Lam who says... I don't believe that the public would have been given similar leeway. Um, He wasn't handcuffed when charged with corruption when others were. Um, And then there are points about paying assessed tax and, you know, basically the argument being some are more equal than the rest. Mm, Which is something we've seen come up quite a bit when commenting on this case. Uh, We have Kamar Nizam who says, when politicians are charged in court, it will always be quote-unquote politically motivated. Hence, the results will always be questioned. So the politician will always be not wrong and always the victim, at least in some parts of society. So, uh, and then actually goes on to talk about uh, the Philippines yes, and Marcos. and the Marcos. And, and the reason why I think that that's a particularly salient point, Cameroon, is because, you know, I, I think the the next part of the chapter that, that with respect, I think might be missing in the storyline, right? Always be not wrong, a victim and a hero, because that mm. actually is the true Marcos trajectory, right? It started here, it went here, and now we've come all the way back to actually in his time, Things were good. And I mean, Bosco is already, that's what I'm saying. Uh, you know, part mm. of that hero narrative. Yeah, that's why. So so there's a whole, you know, arc to this. Um, keep those thoughts coming. You can, again, call us, WhatsApp us, tweet us. After this, we're going to be talking about Nancy Pelosi's tour in our region and specifically uh, the impact of her visiting Taiwan. So keep it here, BFM 89.9. Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9. It is 7.13 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. And um, up next, basically, we're talking about a visit that was uneventful in Malaysia, but kind of fraught on the stop after that. Um, In other words, we're looking at Nancy Pelosi's Asia-Pacific tour because she, of course, made history by being the first Speaker of the United States House of Representatives to visit Malaysia and Parliament as part of her tour of Asia. And uh, she was welcomed here by the US Ambassador to Malaysia, Brian McFeeters, as well as Dewan Rakyat Deputy Speaker, Datuk Muhammad Rashid Hasnon. Um, And that followed, I think, an exchange of ideas within Parliament um, in a state after her visit, the Speaker did say that she met the Prime Minister and the Foreign Minister and there was an inter-parliamentary exchange that was presided by the Dewan Rakyat Speaker, including discussions about security challenges, economic opportunities and governance priorities. However, um, I mean, we can talk about the visit to Malaysia, but it was relatively uneventful, I think, in comparison to the stop that has actually been making all the headlines, which is Taiwan. Yes, so uh, Pelosi actually arrived in Taiwan last night, so right after the Malaysia stop, um, and was greeted by Taiwan's Foreign Minister Joseph Wu and Sandra Udrik, who is the top US representative in Taiwan. Why this gets complicated is, of course, um, the US has famously held on to the, uh, or rather, 
loosely held to the one China policy. Um, and so China has immediately condemned Pelosi's visit with their foreign ministry saying that it damages peace and stability um, and also has said that the visit has severe impact on the political foundation of China-US relations, infringes on China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Um, so it's an interesting move by Nancy Pelosi um, and also something that actually was not done with the open support of uh, President Joe Biden or the Pentagon. So there are a lot of questions about what this signals, um, what this might mean moving forward. So let us know, what do you make of Nancy Pelosi's itinerary? I don't know how else to put it. Uh, you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. WhatsApp 18 Tweet us at BFM Radio. Uh, joining us now to talk about both these visits and stops uh, is Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate of the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute, Malaysia. Uh, Dr. Bridget, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Good evening. Great to speak with you. So uh, let's start by briefly talking about Nancy Pelosi herself. Um, can you tell us about the speaker and I guess her political reputation? Well, Nancy Pelosi is arguably one of the most powerful people in the world. <laughs> she is clearly one of the most powerful women. Uh, she is the House Speaker in the lower house of the house, which is called the House of Representatives of the United States. It's her second term in that position. She's previously served that from 2007 to 2011, and before that, since 2003, she was the Minority Leader in the in the House, which was a, a very important role in terms of leadership in that body. The Speaker is a different type of role than the Malaysia speaker in the sense that um, that person is usually always a member of the house itself um, and they've come from a, the dominant political party and they organize the, the bills and others that can be passed um, can go and basically help to negotiate what happens in particular legislation. She's been in the uh, Congress since 1987 now, which interestingly, as I was thinking about this, it was the first time I personally uh, visited the Congress and uh, at that time. So it's a long time ago. Um, she, uh, you know, her role is different. Uh, and then it's not just, organ just organizing debate, but it actually is very much, she is a lawmaker. And I think what people don't understand about the House of Representatives in the United States is that they play a very important important role in U.S. foreign policy. They make laws uh, involving funding, policies, sanctions, human rights. So the issues, for example, about trafficking, that comes from Congress. So representatives of Congress visit countries all the time uh, to learn about what's happening in them. And they play a role in making laws involving foreign policy because the U.S. system is a very different type of government. The different branches of government play different roles and they complement each other and sometimes they contradict each other. So the meeting in Malaysia was quite brief, but what were some of the takeaways? Well, yeah, it, she was here for about six hours in total. I think I understand she arrived in the parliament around 11 and she left around 3.30. Um, it was an official visit. So the person who was her host was the Speaker of the House, uh, Speaker of the Parliament, the Dewan Rakyat here in Malaysia. Um, you know, normally in a, circumstances, there's often a spirit of bipartisanship. Someone out from outside will meet both parties. But in this case, they only met uh, members of the government and the Speaker of the House, who is quite close to the government, uh, Art Harun. Um, what we saw is three major features of the visit. One was a briefing at the embassy. The other was to meet with the, the Speaker of the House and key members in Parliament. And of course, the very important lunch with the Prime Minister. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's been statements uh, uh, very broad from by both by different actors on this process, which the emphasis was on security, on the economy. 
And I think it prioritized, I think, uh, Malaysia's importance um, uh, to the U.S. Uh, this is the first time a Speaker of the House uh, has come. And I think that indicates how important Malaysia is in the bilateral relationship, especially the security and economic relationship. But I also think it also it shows something else which people don't uh, fully maybe appreciate is that U.S. policy towards the region is very much through this U.S.-China lens, and and Malaysia is seen as pivotal in the kind of co competition that the way that is unfortunately framing U.S. policy towards the region. And so I think coming to Malaysia is important to signal that uh, to Malaysia that it matters also in the competition with China. And do you think it moved the needle at all on some of the points of contention between Malaysia and the United States, like uh, on palm oil, for instance? Well, you know, it was it was a picture session, meet and greet session. Um, I think uh, uh, I think this was uh, there very much a lot of this was for a kind of a symbolic emphasis on my, my bilateral relationships in terms of how important it is. Um, I think that in terms of contentious issues. Um, I think perhaps it could get across that these issues are uh, coming from multiple sources in the U.S. government. You know, the trafficking in persons is, comes directly from Congress, the concerns about palm oil um, and other areas such as labor sanctions. These are uh, issues that I think would have come up uh, in the conversation, especially, but particularly the, the concerns about the economy. So I think that uh, will it have changed things? No, um, but uh, in any meaningful way, but but I think it would have actually started a conversation with different actors. Um, and I think that is important uh, that the that the U.S. was on the Americans radar uh, was uh, sending a message that uh, that relationship matters. Now, her next stop, though, which is Taiwan, has been a highly fraught and controversial one. Tell us why this visit is significant. Well, it's significant for a lot of ways. I mean, this is the most senior U.S. official to visit Taiwan in 25 years. The last time a House Speaker of the House uh, visited, you know, visited Taiwan was under Newt Gingrich. It was a long time ago. Um, it comes at a time when the relationship is extraordinarily tense. tense. Um, the U.S.-China relationship has has not gone on an even keel under the Biden administration. It also comes at a time after we've seen such uh, significant contraction of what has happened in Hong Kong um, in terms of democratic freedoms. And I think that uh, you can see the way Nancy Pelosi framed these issues in terms of her op-ed was about uh, defending democracy, about working uh, with a democracy. Uh, I think it's it's not important to unimportant to recognize it was with a woman president from a woman speaker of the house. Um, this issue interestingly enough, you know, became a crisis. I think it's important to understand that congressional visits to Taiwan have been multiple in the thousands. Uh, and this one became important in part because it was a more senior person of Congress, but she did have a delegation that included um, at least six members of Congress with her. Um, and it, But it was one that became framed as a crisis, a test um, in the, and I think we'd see that coming out of China in terms of 
uh, wanting to send a message. And it comes after there has been quite a considerable pressure um, on Taiwan and the Taiwan-China relationship. Uh, and I think uh, it escalated. Um, in, in part of these issues, you know, as analysts, you look at what are the reasons for that. And I think some of that point to domestic politics in China is a way of using nationalism and the crisis to, to bring home messages. But also, I think we definitely see more territorial ambitions on the part of China in the China-Taiwan relationship. So uh, this is uh, a very fraught time. And of course, we've seen an escalation of military personnel and activities, economic sanctions against Taiwan, a lot of rattling of, uh, of uh, uh, words um, uh, over this visit, which of course, once, you know, Taiwan is four and a half hours from Malaysia, it's not far. And so these tensions, uh, you know, reverberate across the region. So with those tensions then, uh, what do we know about the temperature in Taiwan in terms of how citizens felt about her visit? Well, you know, uh, the temperature uh, is like Malaysia, quite humid, eh? but, the, but the political temperature uh, is quite quite uh, polarized. You know, we do see some who feel uh, we saw protests on both sides. Um, uh, and, and I think uh, people who supported this, who see this as, uh, you know, the U.S.-Taiwan relationship is extremely important. Uh, um, Taiwanese politics is, is also polarized on the issue of its relationship with China. Uh, but I think what we've seen is that uh, more movement um, as the escalation between China and Taiwan has escalated, more movement towards the independence. Uh, this is partly why Tsai was re-elected and, and, uh, and uh, why that she maintains um, uh, very strong uh, political support. Um, but I think, you know, there are apprehension among many Taiwanese about what the, what's the, this is going to bring up and what this is going to be the beginning of. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it is not nice to live under drills and economic sanctions and to be part of a of a, a contestation between U.S. and China, but also in, in terms of uh, their own stability and their own well-being. And so we can see those different opinions uh, within Taiwan's political spectrum and among society itself. So China previously said that the U.S. would, quote-unquote, pay the price if Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. Uh, now that she has, what kind of response might we expect from them? Well, I think what you know, this is still an evolving uh, situation. Uh, we can see, um, you know, w the concerns are that there will be a military incident, uh, which of course, well, you know, uh, has sparks up things within the region. Um, they, they, the concerns will be the impact on trade and the economic relationship. Uh, I think we have to wait and see how it evolves. I think it's too premature um, uh, to. Uh, to predict, but I would say that, you know, one hopes that continues to have some cooling heads, um, you know, this is, uh, and, I, and I think that there are views, and I think it's important to recognize that, believe that the U.S. can also provoke this um, in terms of, and Nancy Pelosi was very strong in her position, even though uh, Joe Biden did not want her to visit, um, yeah, but you but the, the, the president cannot control the, head, the representatives of the House uh, in, the, in the U.S. political system. So I think, uh, you know, I unfortunately predict an escalation of tensions. And this, of course, places Southeast Asian countries in a very difficult position because the regional geopolitics have shifted in very significant ways, where China is a much powerful, more powerful country. The U.S. has been, had a declining power. And we see a situation where uh, Southeast Asian countries are forced to make choices about things that they don't want to make choices about. And 
I guess uh, with all that in mind then, Bridget, is there anything that you'd like to leave us with, not just in terms of how... Um, I don't know. I, I feel like the, I have a thousand questions to ask you. So in other words, um, how this might work in terms of China-US relations moving forward, what we need to prepare for, all these different sorts of things. Well, first of all, I think it's important to talk, to recognize that U.S. policy towards Taiwan and, and the Asia strategy really doesn't have a clear uh, focus. I think this is some of the criticism that's been made of the Biden administration. I think that U.S. Uh, uh, officials and U.S. Uh, the United States as a whole doesn't fully appreciate some of the changing dynamics and the anti-Western sentiments that have grown in, in a different type of China, uh, in a different role that China plays within the context of Asia. I think the second point I would say is that a lot of this is being driven by domestic considerations from the perspective of China itself. You know, you have a very, you have a comparatively slowdown in growth. You've had a very negative impact in terms of COVID. I think uh, we still have, uh, you know, some serious uh, issues domestically happening in China's economy. And I think uh, with these these things become drivers just as much as uh, the, the an election issue in the United States later in the year is also a, a factor that is coming in this dynamic as well. So I think that the domestic politics uh, extend into the international arena and that becomes a, a bigger challenge. I think the third thing, of course, is that, uh, you know, from for a country like Malaysia or Southeast, other countries in the region, uh, you know, this the issue of Taiwan is extremely important because it involves territorial integrity. And uh, I think it involves, uh, there are real concerns, especially in Japan, about an expansive um, uh, China and and if ta after ta after Taiwan, what's next is what people often would ask. So I think these issues are much more problematic um, because uh, uh, we have a different, uh, more assertive China in the global in the regional arena, and none of these things um, are offer a kind of uh, a sense of stability. Uh, you know, there's definitely concerns if with this region if there are what an escalation of tensions. And one hopes that we'll be able to sort of step back from that. Uh, but I think it, there's still a high degree of uncertainty. Bridget, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Most welcome and have a good evening, everyone. You too. That was Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate of the University of Nottingham Asia Research Institute Malaysia, weighing in on Nancy Pelosi's travels um, in Asia, basically, briefly touching on how it was here in Malaysia, here in Parliament, and then I think more substantially, because it's been a larger cause for concern, looking into what it means, what the Taiwan visit ultimately mm. means. So, um, as always, keep those thoughts coming, and you can also keep it here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.